just going to make another adjustment. Is that better? Free hearing aids with PRSI at Specsavers. Music to your ears. Find out more online. Terms and conditions apply. Hello there, it's Michael Lester here and thank you indeed for joining us. Now for almost 150 years, Knock Shrine has been a place of pilgrimage for hundreds of thousands of Irish people and of course not to mention those from further afield and myself coming from the West, I know all about visits to Knock. I'm here in the West today to talk to the parish priest of Knock and the rector of Knock Shrine. We are at the Knock House Hotel and there's Father Richard Gibbons. Richard, it's lovely to see you. Thank you very much uh, for coming to talk to us today about Knock. And from coming here as a kid and to look at it now, the changes that that you see in Knock in that spare uh, period of time is just extraordinary. It's extraordinary and uh, uh, greetings to you, Michael, and welcome to Knock and to your listeners as well. yeah, it is an extraordinary change. Even when I came here as a, mm. as a, as a kid, uh, we, you always were brought every year. Um, there were six of us in the family and all of that, and you came and you remember going, not so much about the ceremonies, but going back with a, a stick of rock yeah. and a small little camera and all the rest of it. Um, but even at, in those days, we do remember that there wasn't an, a, a huge amount here yeah. uh, uh, until the great James Horne came. Uh, in the 60s and 70s and the development of the Basilica and the airport and all the rest of it. Uh, So things radically changed from the 1960s onwards because they needed to. And they look forward to the 100th anniversary of the apparition in 1979, which led to a papal visit of John Paul. So a lot of stuff had to happen in order for that to take place, you know. I suppose inevitably, like anything else in in Irish society through the past 50, 60 years, uh, the things that I would have been familiar with back in the days, like all the street traders yes, selling yes, the yes, yes. beads and right. the holy water and all the rest yes, of it. That's, so right, that's yeah. a very changed scene, obviously, to what Knock is today. Oh, absolutely. Um, in those days, uh, because of the papal visit in 79, a lot of things had to change quite radically and quite quickly. Not in time. You know, like we might get down to that in, in a few years' time, but it had to change quite radically and quickly. James Horne saw that through, uh, but it needed to reflect the needs of the modern pilgrim, always, in each generation. And so that led to the development of the hotel here, for example. It led to the development of uh, a space simply to get people in out of the rain and the wind that normally happens here, um, uh, which led to the building of the Basilica. Um, And that was just, that Basilica was just built, it was entitled um, a church shelter, believe it or not. It wasn't even given any glorious title at all until the Pope came in 79. Church shelter, get them in out of the rain, make sure people are covered in. But then that developed. Because, you know, um, people up to the modern period, up to now, uh, people's needs and expectations are vastly different like it's a world away as you well know with travel modern travel and people um, seeing things elsewhere and coming back with ideas so uh, you know all that has to, had to be taken on board let's recap Richard on the the origins of the apparition hmm. knock uh, 1879 obviously hmm. uh, 
happily neither you or I were around back in <laughs> yes, those days. Yes. But just to, to fill people in, because everybody knows about Knock, but the actual yeah. detail of what happened that yeah. particular evening. Yeah, well, <clears throat> cutting a very long story short, and uh, it it was the most unusual happening. It, it was an ordinary evening. It was uh, a Thursday evening, 21st of August, 1879. People bringing in the, the harvest you know, coming home with the turf and getting the hay in and all the rest of it for the winter time. Um, the evening went on like any other evening, but then uh, it, it started to rain and rain got heavier. And that evening, the parish priest's housekeeper simply went on a, on a visit to one of her friends here, neighbour, and saw a light at the gable end of the church. Didn't sort of, was kind of wondering what this was about, but carried on to tell the neighbour, what do you think this is about? But then uh, they saw the light and they, they came towards the church to, to recognise figures at the gable end. To say they got a shock would be putting it mildly because they all testified to this after. But the reason why we think anything happened here, now you might say, OK, a lot of people came together. It might be mass hallucination, which is the first thing that I'd say. You know, you, you need to kind of investigate this. You don't come out rubbing your hands, great, we've got an apparition. You know, you have to investigate this properly. So, um, but there were people from various different points of the village that saw this light. One of the later uh, testimonies was from a farmer who was working in the field and he thought the church was on fire. So he came. Now, obviously, these people weren't in contact with one another. No mobile phones, no semaphores. They weren't able to, you know, do you see the light that I see kind of thing. But they all came. And so the entire village basically turned out of this at eight o'clock in the evening, pouring rain. And what they recognised were the figures that we see now. It lasted for roughly two hours. And people like you and I would want to go up and touch. Is this real? What, what, what's going on here? So they did. They approached. And they said this in their testimonies afterwards. And they could feel nothing, but the figures were as real as you and I sitting opposite each other here. And they could see facial expressions, movement. But the ground and the wall were completely dry, even though it was pouring rain. Um, um, Later on, there were, through investigation and commission of inquiry that happened, um, there were um, theories about what was referred to as a magic lantern theory. Somebody was kind of, you know, per- perpetrating a hoax on the people. Yeah. But that didn't, that wasn't sustainable, especially in those days and the technology that was available. You couldn't even do it today, believe it or not, not even, not even in 1879. So it lasted two hours uh, and then just people, people just left and um, the apparition just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, you, it was, you a sil- it was a silent, silent it was, yes. Which was unusual as well, because right. most of the other apparitions that happened over the, the time, there was messages delivered. Precisely, precisely. In, in practically all the official apparitions recognised by the church, there's a message given. So, for example, in Lourdes, it was to St. Bernadette, uh, one, one, one witness. In Fatima, three witnesses, three young children, and a message was given. Here, which makes a kind of... I, I think, Michael, uniquely Irish in a way. The entire village turned out. Anybody that wanted to see this could see it, yeah. you know, which makes it hugely sure. uh, different. But nothing was said. And we thank God every day that nothing was said yeah. because the message is in what appeared. So Our Lady, St. Joseph, St. John the Evangelist, an altar, a lamb and an empty cross uh, depicting the resurrection because the lamb is there yeah. symbolising the resurrection uh, Jesus. And... Uh, it is an extremely complex apparition. And if you were perpetrating a hoax, 
Uh, you certainly don't do that. As I often say to people, uh, if you're making this up or the village was making this up, you don't start, keep it to herself. <laughs> Just Our Lady would appear. Don't start adding in altars and la- because that story will not stick. It won't even last a week but because somebody would, would, would trip themselves up in it. But it's interesting, two commissions of inquiry were set up, one in 1880, <coughs> sorry, later 1879, October, and then one in 1936, to, uh, there were three remaining witnesses and they wanted to see if their testimonies aligned even after all of those years and they did. So there were 15 official testimonies, witnesses. Um, there were a lot more people there but some didn't come forward because it's 1879, there's a land war going on. A lot of secret societies. Trouble with the British, a whole load of revolutionary groups and all of that kind of thing and some were afraid to come forward because the, author- the f- evictions were happening and all of that kind of thing. But 15 did come forward, ranging in age from five years of, old, five years of age, John Curry, to, to 74. Yeah. Bridget Trench. How long did it take after the apparition, before it became a place of pilgrimage? In other words, yeah. how long did it take for <coughs> something to happen to, to move the story on, if you like? Practically immediately, which was very bizarre. The first official pilgrimage came from Limerick in late in, in 1880, February, March of the following year. Um, so they were the first ones to come forward uh, in official... And they came en masse, if you like. In in those days, now, travelling was very, very difficult by carriage and Bianconi cars and all that kind of thing. Came through Toome, visited the Archbishop. Uh, now, Archbishops and Bishops are very... They're not. They're very slow in coming forward to recognise anything officially until an investigation is done and all the rest of it. But the Commission of Inquiry had sat and they found the testimonies to be trustworthy and satisfactory, which was okay for the Archbishop and he could welcome a group then officially. So people then started coming and what happened bizarrely was because it happened at the Gable War of the Parish Church, people started taking chippings away from the... It nearly collapsed. They nearly collapsed the wall. So they had to... Um, protected but people started using mortar from the gable and little stone and all that kind of thing and which led to kind of testimonies coming from as far wide as New Zealand an archbishop came from New Zealand because um, some of the mortar was sent out he had a problem with his eyes and um, according to the testimony his own testimony and his own uh, written written letter uh, he put it down to to that and uh, he came on pilgrimage all the like you're talking thousands of miles on the high seas in, 18, in 1880 and 1881. And Archbishop from Toronto came with a group of people in 1880. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of, it, it grew then. Um, but it, 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 it diminished then around the turn of the century, of the, of the 20th century, 1900. It, it was still known, but maybe it, ju- it just became kind of, um, what would you say, a plateaued, if you like, you know. And it wasn't really until, and I'm speeding things up here now a little bit to give you kind of a, a broader uh, context. It wasn't really until 1935 when Knock Shrine Society was set up by two local people, Dame Judy Coyne and her husband Liam. He was a local district judge. And uh, they 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 said, look, at, we have this place here in Ireland. It should be our lures. It should be our Fatima. Why 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 aren't why aren't things happening here? So they really gave the momentum for the whole thing then to to progress. And then it became better known in the thirties and forties, especially during the war. People came here for a bit of solace and all 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 of that. Now the facilities here were, as you pointed out at the beginning, completely rudimentary. All you're talking about is the parish church and a big empty field. Mud, (laughs) 
you know, bad road, um, uh, um, a school that was turned into a confessional uh, during the day. Um, uh, so, you know, you were at the, at the mercy of the elements here. Uh, and really that didn't change until James Horne came on board in the 19, 1960s, 1970s and into the 80s, of course. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times? Visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook. You yourself uh, have been here Roughly 20 years. Yeah. Not all that time now, obviously, is the parish priest. But That's you've right. Been here in that. I've been here 19 years, yeah, and 20 years next year. I came in, in 2003 as a curate. Uh, I didn't think I'd be here as long <laughs> when you come as a curate. It's usually for maybe, I was my previous appointment was three years in Hedford, and I loved that. I had taught in a secondary school there and I was in the parish. Loved it. Um, as three years. So when I was appointed to knock, uh, which took me a bit by surprise because nobody really wants to be appointed to knock. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work. Uh, so appointed as curate, I thought maybe three to five years again and they moved on somewhere else. But uh, I was nine years with my predecessor. He died of a heart attack. He was a great guy. Got on like a house on fire with him. He was a, a wonderful man. Um, died at 65 of a heart attack. And then I was the Arch- Archbishop nearly appointed me as PP then and rector of the shrine uh, just a couple of months after that and so I'm 10 years as rector and, and parish priest so uh, we've tried to take it the next step and uh, we felt that it needed uh, a little bit of re-engagement with, with the people of the country and, and elsewhere and to show that we're here and that we're welcoming of people it's our national shrine so it should mean something to people and it should kind of provide the solace and cons- consolation and hope and just kind of somewhere people to go to take time out. And uh, so we set up uh, what we called Witness to Hope, which was a project. We, we, we surveyed everybody for, for the first time in, in, the, in the shrine's life. So par- parishioners, visitors, every priest in the country, every religious, um, uh, anybody that wanted to tell us what it is that they like about the place and what would they like to see happen. So we developed a project, very long story short there again, it developed into three focuses. Uh, Number one, they said, would you please, for God's sake, do something with the Basilica? It's a wonderful building, but it's a big barn of a building. It's mass concrete, it's cold, it's this, it's that, and we knew it ourselves anyway, you know. Uh, Number two, you need to do something in terms of encouraging people's faith. And number three, you need to promote the place. You, people need to know that you're you're there. It was interesting, Michael, I, I did an interview with one, with, with a journalist after we had the Basilica refurbished and we got in about 2016 or so, 2017. And the first comment he said, he, he was a young guy, got late 20s, maybe 30, um, uh, from Dublin. And he said, I thought you had closed down long ago. 
I died. Are you still going? Like, and I, and I just, I said, that's in my own mind now, not to him. I said, oh God, that's the whole point. This is to get guys like this to understand. Yes, we're still here. Yes, we have something to say and something to provide for people. And um, yes, we, we, we want to do that. Uh, but it was an interesting comment. I just thought you were closed. I thought that knock had gone. I thought you were out of the, because there was no connection, no perception there at all, you know. Of course, that depends on people's faith. But the project turned out to be extremely successful, Witness to Hope. That led to another one, Together in Faith, um, which led to the papal visit to knock in 2018. We had to, um, to organise for that. So that was a huge that was a huge project in and of itself as well. Upgrade all our technology, upgrade everything, future proof the shrine, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which turned out to be fortuitous for the pandemic. Because we had the technology in place for the papal visit that all we had to do when the when the when COVID hit was switch over to our online provision, which is extraordinary. You mentioned the Pope's visit. Uh, the previous visit by a Pope, of course, was John yeah, Paul back right. in 1979, the anniversary, the 100th anniversary. I was mm. here as a journalist covering that at the time. You're obviously a good bit younger than me. <laughs> Were you here yourself? No, I wasn't. Yeah. I, 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 I was the eldest of six and I was nine at that time. Yeah. And um, my poor mum, all of us were, in, were st- we were stepped down to, down to base. So she said, I'm not bringing six young children to, to knock, uh, which turned out to be a, a kind of a good idea for young families because there were 450,000 people here in knock. And again, it, the only thing that was here, the Basilica was here because James had the foresight, James Horne had the foresight to build that before the, for the anniversary and for a papal visit. There weren't really any, there was no hotel. Knockhouse Hotel wasn't here at the time. That came into being in 1999. And, uh, but 450,000 people, like just everywhere. You can see it from the photographs. And it was an extraordinary uh, thing. It was the highlight of James Horne's career, really, you know, to welcome a papal visit. And uh, he put in a huge amount of work. I remember back in the time, come from the other side of Chewham, hmm. uh, and we were putting people up in the community centre in Barn and Jarrog. You know, <laughs> we were heading to yeah. knock because, as you said, the yeah. facilities weren't necessarily here That's right. for that amount of people. But then that was an extraordinary number of people. That's right. Um, yeah. You mentioned the the um, putting things in place and and it being fortuitous in terms of COVID and all that mm. kind of stuff. Mm. Because like so many other things in life a mm. couple of years ago, it changed the way Absolutely. you were operating yeah. knock and the pilgrimage and everything around it. That's right. Completely ch- changed everything, even our understanding. The, you know, when that hit, we only thought, like probably maybe like yourself, all right, this is for a month or two. You know, something has happened here. Uh, a virus has come in. You know, the United Nations will will come in like like um, a night on on a charger. You know, and everything will be sorted out in a month or two. Little did we all know that this would be a continual thing for two for two years. So, how do we engage with people? How do we not fall back into the doldrums in terms of you know not being there for people so that was that was very strong with us here but like I say we had the technology in place for the paper visit in 2018 so all our cameras technology were kind of broadcast quality uh, which was you know a godsend to us so then we just went online and nobody was coming here obviously so we engaged with people online. We broadcast two masses every day 12 and half seven rosary at seven o'clock and I tell you, Michael, that whole thing t- took off like we, we couldn't believe. So we said, OK, there were people because we got the numbers. Now, there was nobody in front of me when I was saying mass. 
you know, and it's very hard to preach to, to no one except poor Una, who was the director of music, <laughs> listening to us every day, every day of the week. But we kept it short. It actually focused your mind in terms of you, you have a message to communicate. Do it shortly, sharply and, and, and hit the point. Because people, you know, it's like, it's like channel hopping. You know, they move on, and or they, you know, if you're if you're rambling on, you're, they're not going to listen to you. You know, like that's that's just the way. I wouldn't listen to me if I was going rambling on. So you know, you you just need to kind of uh, uh, focus it. And myself and Father Paul Bennett, who's a classmate of mine, who happened to be in Knock at the time on sabbatical, uh, we just broadcast those masses. And Una was there with the music, and then we developed. I, I gave a little wave one one day at, at people. You know, I said, thanks for you know, it's just something spontaneous that took off. And we got an email the following day, we're waving back at you. You know, I have one funny little story. That, um, I waved one day and I, I just said, look, at, thank you very much for waving back. And I see now some of you there, you're not waving back now, but look, you do. People emails the following day, how can you see us? Have you got spyware? And I had to go, I had to go on the following day and say, look, I can't see anyone. <laughs> this is only, this is only, uh, this is only uh, a gesture. But that really took off and we were getting emails from, oh, from, anywhere from Anchorage in Alaska to Ho Chi Minh City, believe it or not, and uh, so all over the world. And uh, that has kept with us. Before COVID, we had about 2% engagement online. That shot up to about 100% because of engagement and people tuning in from all over the world. And it has remained now at about 35%, which is just goes to show you sure. that we have a, if you like, a congregation there that we have to look after too. You know, so it's an extraordinary time. You did a interview a couple of years ago, um, and a quote that you said to the, the the lady that was interviewing you that stuck in my mind. You said the church in Ireland is at rock bottom. Mm. What did you mean exactly? Well, at that time, uh, well, even even today, um, and that's kind of you can you can see it echoing. What I meant at that time was that th- there seemed to be a palpable disengagement with the church, and especially with young people and younger people and young families. And um, I, we, we, we could, you, you could see that resonating here too at the shrine. You know, like a lot of people come before COVID, we, we've roughly over a million people visit here every year. After COVID, I don't know how this is the first full season really that we're back, but you can still see it. Uh, what I meant at that time was that you know there, there seems to be a completely um, a, a disengagement. And that we seem to be at rock bottom in terms of the fact that we seem to be flailing around and not knowing what to do. Uh, And uh, I certainly felt that at the time. I kind of at at this time, because Pope Francis obviously has has uh, is uh, has been Pope, but the engagement with the synodal process that some people might know about. This is just simply a walking together in terms of listening to where people are at and what maybe what direction we should be going. I think there's a huge potential in that for us. Just to sit, listen and then re-engage. Now, how you do that again, I've no answer for that. We just have to kind of, here at the Shrine, we have a very good committee, uh, mm-hmm. Faith Renewal Committee, that really in, tries to engage online and in person in terms of building and encouraging people's faith. But it's going to take an awful lot of work. And it could even possibly get worse before before we, it even gets better. Like our own Archbishop, uh, this weekend Archbishop Francis Duffy, uh, for Week Sunday, uh, said in, in his homily that, you know, take a look at your preach, priest in your parish. You mightn't see another one there again. Yeah. Take a look at yourselves. What are you prepared to do? Uh, 
it was kind of almost a John F. Kennedy, if you remember the quote, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I think, you know, we're in that territory. But people don't know. OK, that's fine. It's a nice quote. But what do I do now? You know, like, what, what is it that we can, we can re-engage with? So, yeah, um, it's going to take an awful lot of work. And in terms of personnel, it, it will probably more than likely get far worse than, than, than we have at the moment. Let me um, change the topic a little bit mm. uh, and talk about you. Oh. Um, you're here in Knock, not too far from where you come from yourself. That's right. Uh, just come down the road, if you like, uh, uh, an hour and 15, 20 minutes, depending how you're driving course, <laughs> in, in Lewisburg, uh, just right on the coast. That's where I was born and raised, uh, a beautiful part of the country, right under the shadow of Crowpatrick. And um, so I, I born and raised there. My family um, um, all come from there, obviously. Uh, but we've all kind of moved away from, from, from Lewisburg now. And I went to school there, went to college in in Galway, UCG. And then when I decided to go for the priesthood, I, uh, I was sent to Rome then for, to the Irish College. And uh, I'd wonderful, like, enjoyed my time there and it was a, gave a fantastic perspective on the universal church, really. A great kind of what's happening in other countries and just meeting people in terms of giving you ideas indeed uh, what's happening and what could be done and all, all of that, you know. Because a great, uh, just a, a little bit of a, a wider perspective yeah. than just ourselves, you know. Yeah. From this point uh, going forward, what do you see the future of Knock, or indeed the church, but particularly Knock, hmm. over the, let's say, the next 10, 20 years? Yeah, that's a good question. We, we in, intend to engage, if you remember, I, I, I mentioned that, that synodal process that Pope Francis is engaged on, yeah. this listening process, that we, for the novena that's coming up now, which is on the 14th of August to the 22nd, we have as part of that uh, a tent, we're going to call it a synodal tent, it's a marquee, where people can come in and engage with Knock in terms of telling us yet again, what, what is it that they're finding beneficial from us? Where is it that they think that we should be going and how we are to get there? So there be that's the focus of that. So I want to hear from people uh, because I do, personally I don't have all the answers. Obviously, uh, um, uh, my committee, the committee here at the shrine, doesn't either. So we need to hear from people as to what what they're thinking about knock, and where we hope knock to 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 help the people to uh, increase their faith. We are looking towards the 150th anniversary of the apparition, which is in 2029. That's only seven years. And we, we do have, we have plans in place before COVID, we were thinking about that. So, you know, it, it, just in terms of, you know, um, maybe a welcome centre, a, a place that we can, people can come and engage with, uh, you know, finding out about their faith, about knock and about where where we could bring that in terms of developing people's faith. Because we feel that knock is the National Shrine. It's now got international status by Pope Francis. And so we have an obligation. We have an obligation to meet the needs, faith needs of the people in the country. That's, you know, some people come here and they describe it as the spiritual capital, you know, in a way, you know, it's a nice title, grand, I'll take it. But, you know, it's, it's a, it, we do feel a huge responsibility. So I will, I, what I feel about Knock is that Knock has the potential to be the resource, a resource for the church in Ireland. So that, as I always say, we're not looking at ourselves as the last bastion of Catholicism on the island. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's we don't look at that you know like somebody actually I'll give you a, a little bit of an analogy somebody said to me recently a couple of years ago in America said you know you, you feel, how's the church in Ireland and uh, I told them and he said oh god if, if he's that you know like you're in Dunkirk and you're about to be evacuated I said, oh, right. I said, that's an interesting perspective. I, and I thought to myself, I said, I feel like we're Normandy and we're about to move inland. It, it all depends on how you look at it. it it's, it, you have to, we see Knock as a resource and that resource needs to be filtered out. And even for yourself, Michael, coming from the, the GA perspective, you have these centres of excellence for the GA around the place, you know, to, to kind of, to make as much of the game as you possibly can. And to, and to see how it can develop. That's how we see Knock. Are you looking forward to the challenge? I am. I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the 150th. Yeah. Uh, I've 10 years now done as parish priest and rector. I, that has just flown. That's just... And, and there hasn't been a dull moment here, I have to say. Not a dull moment. Even with the Witness to Hope, Together in Faith, paper visit, the, 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 all of these things. You know, encouraging flights from New York and, and Boston, which we did before COVID, through Knock Airport, yeah. uh, which we still see as a, as a, as a potential. You know, we, we have an airport, we're going to use it, you know, and, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful piece of infrastructure. And then developing the, the structures and the, the facilities here, like, for example, this hotel, Knockhouse Hotel. You know, we use that, uh, St. Mary's across the road. It's, 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 uh, uh, there are possibilities for people to come here, to stay here, spend time. Not like in the past when, when you or I would come here. It was a day job. You know, you were ramming everything into it. You were exhausted. By the time you got home, you were kind of, oh my God, you know, it's a marathon. And it still feels like that for some people. So we encourage people to come to stay, whether here in Knockhouse Hotel or St. Mary's, uh, or whether, uh, just spend time, relax and engage with the place. We've over 100 acres of grounds. People can simply walk and, you know, um, just uh, sort of connect with what we have going on here, you know. Father Richard, it's been fantastic to talk to you and I want to wish you every success going forward. Thank you very much indeed, Michael. Pleasure to talk to you too. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations.